All right, welcome back to Failure TV. My guest this week started his first companies at the age of 19 and has gone on to found over a dozen more. He is a top 30 under 30 and a top 40 under 40 winner, and he is currently creating opportunities for students and small business owners. I'd like to welcome Mo. Mo Abbas, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Craig. Good to be here. Thank you very much. Um, why don't you tell a little bit uh, about how you kind of got into your entrepreneur uh, spirit here? Um, you started those companies at 19. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so, you know, I've always kind of had the entrepreneurial spirit. When I was 12 years old, I would go door to door. My, I grew up very poor. So I'll give you a bit of background here. Uh, I grew up very poor. My family emigrated to Canada in 1989 from war-torn Lebanon. And we stayed and lived in subsidized housing for the better part of my childhood and teenage years. And, you know, I started, I was a very curious child, always exploring, always challenging boundaries. Didn't do so great in school because of that. <laughs> um, that laid the foundation to my entrepreneurship later on is that curiosity uh, and that kind of that need to keep exploring and pushing the boundaries. Uh, so when I was 12 years old, I started going door to door, you know, I was selling chocolates and services like snow removal, et cetera. I tried to kind of help my family out a little bit. Uh, made a little bit of money doing that. My parents took all my money, uh, <laughs> which wasn't the funnest thing in the world, but I enjoyed, you know, going out there. It was competitive. I was always really extremely competitive seeing what, how much I could sell and what I could achieve. And, uh, you know, from there, it led me to, uh, I always kind of knew I would be an entrepreneur. I always knew I'd be very successful. Except when I was 18, I woke up and I realized that I was overweight, broke, and not successful. <laughs> and then I got in a fight at school and kind of got jumped and got dumped and that's when like you kind of hit rock bottom and you're like, what am I doing with my life? Like I always envisioned myself as a successful person. And here I am 18 dumped, jumped and kind of like failing in, in life overall. And I decided to, you know, uh, at the, the next day I was just so motivated to change my life. And that's exactly what I did. I changed my life and I started with changing my body. So I would go to the gym all the time. Uh, religiously, I would go to the gym. I had a goal. I wanted to be super fit. I had role models, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I just started learning everything that I could from Arnold Schwarzenegger and other people at the gym. But he was like, I guess, my mentor, although I never met the man in real life uh, and just followed his teachings ultimately. So I started by building up my body and I did that and I became super fit. And uh, I used that same discipline and drive to become an entrepreneur. Um, so when I was 18, it took me about two years to achieve my physical goals, a lot longer than I thought originally. Uh, always are. <laughs> yeah, it really is. You know, before that, I was going to the gym like for like three years and I had like zero gains um because i would go there and hang out and like you know do a little bit of exercise and then go eat like three thousand calories and, you know i had really no idea what it meant to but i didn't really have a goal as well right yeah. um so it's really important to set a goal of what you want to achieve right and have that vision of i had a vision for my body and 
I really wanted to achieve that vision. And that's, that's what my main focus was. And then when I was 18, I got lucky. I got, uh, I went on a contract out to BC, your neck of the woods. Yeah. And uh, to Miami, Florida, as well, Palm Beach, Miami area, uh, fixing phone lines. Uh, and I was the youngest technician, phone technician in the country at 18. And I didn't know how to fix phone lines, by the way. Uh, I just, I was straight hustle is what I did. Just literally problem solve and like people skill. I had great people skills. That's what kept me alive in that contract is just my bosses like me and my the clients like me. And I didn't fix the phone lines, but I made them feel good. Right? <laughs> People forget what you do, but they never forget how you made them feel. So that was, you know, <laughs> that's kind of how I survived that contract. When I came back, I got paid really well, 19, 18 years old, going 19, making $33 an hour and you know, $100 a day on top of that, you know, so I was making like $400 to $500 a day. And I was just working like 13 days on one day off. Um, I had a lot of freedom in that job too. So I started reading a little bit. And then uh, came back to Ottawa, had some savings. And, you know, at that time frame, I really wanted to, I knew I wanted to become an entrepreneur. Like I, I knew that's, you know, I failed in school. I didn't believe in the school system. The goals that I wanted to achieve could only be done through entrepreneurship. You had to be in business. So what I did, I went to chapters every single day. It's an Indiegogo. It's, it's a bookstore. Um, I went there every single day. And I would rollerblade there. And they had couches there at that time. I get a coffee from Starbucks, sit down with a great book on business, and I would just learn business. And then I would learn psychology, and then I would learn uh, chemistry, and then I would learn, um, you know, about art and religion. And there was a few subjects that I really liked: business and self-help were my two favorite subjects, and psychology. But there was a time where I could walk in that bookstore and I had read a book on every shelf. So I had this well-rounded knowledge base, right? And then when you start getting that kind of diversified knowledge, you realize some realizations I got from that. Um, you know, information, everything is really just information, ultimately. Um, you know, that was really interesting. And then from there, I started a landscaping companies. So uh, in the springs, I would go door to door again. And I would, this time it was a lot more expensive. I was, I was making $500 a day doing that. Um, so I had this savings from the contract work. And then I started my first foray into entrepreneurship, doing what I knew best, which was door to door. You get immediate results. You make cash. It was labor as well. So I got fit. Uh, and then I wanted to go a little bit bigger. So I got some of my friends and they started going door to door. And then we started hiring some people. And then we set up crews and then we started buying a little bit of machinery. And then we started like organizing systems. And this was like over two, over one or two seasons. Um, and I did that, but then I realized that again, I'm not going to achieve my goals, my, my big goals in this specific industry. And it was a tough industry, but it was very capped. You know, I was doing uh, lawn maintenance and driveway maintenance. Um, it was very limited in what you could achieve in that. 
it was great cash though you know 500 a day in cash is great for a 19 year old uh especially at that time and then i said you know i had a, a friend who was running a gym at the time and they were looking to renovate that gym it was an old gym in the basement of a mall like very like moldy old gym and they're really cheap reminiscent of afford <laughs> what's that seems very reminiscent of the 80s yeah you know it was a, they were very cheap as well like they didn't want to spend any money hiring proper contractors right so they hired me <laughs> <laughs> i had never swung a hammer in my life never did trade work in my life okay my father was actually a tiler by trade but i never i was myself was never in the trades and then here i am you know this 19 year old kid taking on this massive gym renovation and I had to figure out everything from scratch. So I, I had to hire contractors. I had to figure out how to read plans. I had to figure out what drywall meant. <laughs> <laughs> I had to figure out, you know, all this crazy stuff. It was insane. That learning curve was massive. And obviously I, I got my ass kicked and I lost my shirt on that first contract, but I learned a lot. Uh, don't do commercial construction when you don't have any experience. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I lost actually part of my savings on that. I ended up losing money on that and I worked there for almost nine months in that contract. And then they, they didn't pay me. The guy didn't even pay me at the end of it, you know? And yeah, it was bad. And in the next contract, I, I lost my shirt again, but learned it was a high rise commercial building. We're doing trim. Uh, I had to deal with the union on that job. And then my company became unionized. I didn't even know what that meant. I had like no employees. I'm like, how do I become unionized? I don't have any employees, but I became unionized. I learned not to mess with the union on that one. Uh, they don't, they don't play nice. You want them on your side. <laughs> yeah. Always, uh, always have the union on your side, right? Uh, you can't beat them. So you got to join them ultimately. So, and, uh, from there I started again, it's all this big learning curves that happen. And I started focusing on residential. Why? Because it was very people heavy, right? The commercial is not people heavy. Uh, and residential is, you can talk to human beings, you know, you can work with them through problems. They're a little more forgiving. Uh, they'll put up with a lot more. They're more price sensitive. So if you give them a good deal, they'll give you a shot, even though you don't have a lot of experience. And that's what I did. I focused on the specific niche of residential. And then I was actually doing like basements was a big thing for me, bathrooms, some kitchens. And then we expanded and started doing design build. Uh, so this is where I started copying one of my competitors. And I, so I recommend this for everybody. If you have a competitor you can copy from who's successful, that's the first thing you should do as a startup. It'll save you so much time and headache. Uh, you know, Bill Gates stole this line from, sorry, Steve Jobs stole this line from Picasso. And, and it was a good artist copy, but great artist steal. Right. So you want to take what works from your competitors and make it your own thing ultimately. And that's what I did. I copied uh, my competitors who were doing design build and 3D renderings. They were the first to do that. And then we started doing 3D renderings and it was like this new thing. And then I one up them. I started focusing on uh, digital marketing. 
uh, and in construction, nobody was doing digital marketing. So that was like a significant advantage that we had. It was we were out competing everybody on sales and marketing, which were my two core competencies. I don't know construction, but I know sales and marketing very, very well. Um, so sales, very high level sales. And then we started nailing the marketing aspect of things and started building this machine. I mean, I, I started actually at Starbucks. I have a lot of history with Starbucks. Um, I did a million dollars or Starbucks myself as a one man show. And then from there, I got a little basement office and then I hired some friends on contract base. Then we expanded that office to a couple of rooms and I hired some more friends and we took the whole basement and I hired like a whole bunch of my friends. And then over time, we expanded the company across Canada to become one of the biggest design builders in the country. And, you know, it was me and like a dozen of my childhood friends that were just figuring shit out as like early 20 something year olds with like multi-million dollar call, like just multi-million dollars are dealing with and like just in, in, in this industry and we were just killing it at that time. Uh, again, sales and marketing was, we were just killing everybody on that front. And you start learning, what's that? That, that that's a huge part of things even today even today yeah if you have sales and marketing then you can you can well what it does it gives you cash and it gives you time and then unless your business is very operation heavy uh, and we were in a very ops heavy business um so you it was really tough actually because it was very ops heavy right so when you are making mistakes in people's homes it was very very difficult you had to deal with very frustrated clients so i learned how to deal with a very high stress high pressure situations uh extremely high pressure right i'm 22 years old 23 and i, and I have companies across canada and i'm dealing with renovations so people's homes are being torn apart things are bound to go wrong Ultimately, I'm the leader. They come to me for these problems, internally and external problems. And they're really big problems. You know, you're looking at people's life savings, right? And you're doing a rental yourself. You know what's involved. And you're like tearing apart their house. They're living in the house at the same time. So it really taught me how to deal with stress. I've always been a low-stress person, but when you're like getting bombarded with these extremely high pressure situations and you have no choice but to deal with them you either die or you deal with them i learned that pretty quick too (laughs) it's it's the same kind of scenario it's yeah it needs to be fixed now especially like i was in tv so like there's always deadlines and stuff so you know it's always if something goes wrong you're you're always pushing to that high stress level to to get everything done and finished yeah exactly like you know there's situations where they have family coming for christmas and they're like traveling next week or even now and they're staying in a hotel room because the rental's late because of this unforeseen circumstance and everyone's frustrated and it's over budget and it can be a nightmare situation sometimes um but it was a lot of great experience (laughs) absolutely so that taught me a lot of how to work with people how to troubleshoot, how to build systems, 
uh, across Canada and you realize that people are your most valuable assets. The most important part of any business is people. Take care of your people, if people take care of your company. Absolutely. And I think Richard you know, Branson has a very similar slogan to that too. He, yeah. He's very high on that. Yeah, he does. And um, a lot of people do. Jack Ma is big on that too. Yeah. From Alibaba. You know, all these successful guys, it's all the same formula. Different journeys, but it's the same methodologies they use generally. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I early on, I hired some B players that were not very good in my organization. And I learned very quickly how detrimental cancers can be in companies. Um, so that was a, so it was a huge learning experience in construction. You know, by the time I was about 25, I knew, okay, maybe this is not what I, I was not really going to achieve my long-term vision in this industry. And by 27, I made the decision to pivot out of construction yeah. uh, into tech. Because you got, I didn't even know what tech was, by the way, when I was started construction in Ottawa, Ontario, uh, when I, I didn't go to school, you know, I taught myself everything. Uh, I had a lot of mentors, but most of them were from books. I never actually met in my life. Uh, and then, you know, clients and people I would interact with and learn from. Um, but I, did, I didn't know that tech was, was even an industry. Like, I didn't even know what it was at that time. Uh, but as I get more experience in business and started researching different business models and interacting with different clients and, you know, expanding my horizon, uh, I've always been a tech guy. I've been using tech a lot. You know, that was the advantage that we got in my business, whether it was the internet for marketing. Uh, I, I, I was using um, Chatter in Salesforce. I don't know if you remember that. I do. It was like pre-Slack days. And it was like in beta. I'm like, wow, this thing's amazing. We can communicate with your team and clients. Like, we got to get on this. And I got my whole team on that. And my whole team was on Salesforce. And we were on CRMs. And we were like, we had iPads and jobs, uh, iPads and job sites before anybody else in the industry. So tech was always something I utilize in business, but I didn't realize that like, you could build software companies, and I didn't realize a lot about uh, margins. You know, I, it, which you know, margins in business and scale. You know, tech is an industry is it's a unique unto of its, uh, itself because you can scale a business extremely quickly extremely quickly and if it's software business you have these massive margins like incredible margins that you don't get in any other business um, very few businesses have that kind of margin and the impact you could have on people's lives so i started realizing this and i'm like okay well if i spend the next 50 years in construction i could you know i could probably generate hundreds of millions in revenue okay let's say 200 million dollars in revenue and then I can make $20 million on that in profit, let's say 10% EBITDA. And then that will be worth, maybe you have a, a 3X multiple on that. So I could have a $60 million organization if I line all my ducks in a row by the time I am out of my ability to do business. And then I thought about that and I said, and then what's the impact I'm going to have? I'm going to change a lot of people's lives one at a time in a renovation and that's very very impactful. But then you look at this, you look at tech and you're like, and I don't like to say tech, like you, we should really solve a problem if you start a business ultimately. But I, but 
I knew the direction, the relative direction I wanted to go to was in a, was a startup ultimately. So I did what I always did, you know, um, very curious, started subscribing to different tech publications, started reading up on startups, started uh, following uh, big tech companies, Y Combinator, uh, all the big investors. I curated a Twitter feed. I curated my Facebook feed. I signed up to a bunch of email newsletters and I started really learning about the tech space um, to a certain extent. Like it was just very rudimentary at that time. And, you know, I made the decision at 25 to pivot out of tech. I had an opportunity to do that. Uh, I brought one of my partners back from Vancouver to run my Ottawa construction company. And I made probably one of, one of the hardest decisions in my life because I knew the opportunity cost that I was giving up, right? I was top dog in tech, uh, award-winning, you know, I was famous in the industry and I made a decision to start from point zero. Nobody knew me. I had no credibility. My, my experience in construction does not get transferred to, to tech. Yeah. People don't transfer it. Why? They just, there's just, it's just not a thing that happens ultimately. Even though it was very valuable, it just was not recognized. And, you know, I'm I, one of the mistakes, I'm a very, especially when I was younger, a very like just get it done kind of guy, shoot from the hip. I took a lot more risks when I was younger uh, and I suffered a lot of damage. So when you're taking risks, you have to be prepared to take, you will take damage and you gotta be okay with taking damage, right? Um, but if you land some shots and you're still alive, you can make progress that way. And that's what I did. I had a lot of failures. Some of my shots landed. I made some money on those shots, a lot more than my failures. So if you can limit the downside and you still have an upside potential, take the shot. People are always afraid of losing. Calculated risk. I got a lot better at risk management as I got older, <laughs> especially as I got past thirty. Yeah, and I can talk. I can talk about thirties and twenties are very different. Twenties, I was taking shots everywhere. Like it was crazy. It was insane. I, <laughs> I had like, I had like six or seven companies, significant multi-million-dollar companies at twenty-five years old, running at the same time, all with fires in them. All of them had fires raging in the companies. And I'm just like, I'm not thinking about that. I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? Excuse my language. What was I thinking? You know, it was crazy. I would never do that now. Much more calculated. Um, but when you don't have a lot to lose and you have time, like, why not? Like, what do you really, a lot of people, they overestimate what they have to lose. Like, what do you really have to lose? Like, nothing. Maybe a little bit of money, big deal. Maybe a little bit of your pride. It'll come back. <laughs> it's not a big deal. I think pride uh, is one of the biggest things for, for a lot of people too, is that, that, that thing to pride has kept a lot of people from doing a lot of things. Pride is the singular biggest, um, it's the biggest, uh, it's what holds people back, right? They're afraid of failure. They're afraid of being judgment. They're afraid they're not good enough. And if they're put to the test, they're afraid of that becoming a reality because if they don't test it, well, maybe I am. Maybe I'm good enough, but I'm afraid I'm not good enough. But if I don't look, 
I don't have to know. Yeah. And, and many times. <laughs> everybody's been there. Everybody's been there, right? And there was something I used to, I had it in my calendar for years. And it was eat the frog in the morning, right? You want to eat the most difficult thing you can the first thing in the morning, right? The hardest thing to do, you do it the first thing in the morning. You don't wait. You wake up, you get it done, you eat it. Um, and that actually, like, I really advanced that mentality quite a bit so that now I, I my morning routine is pretty insane. Um, I and like that's, that. that's really cool. Yeah. You know, and, and what's, what I also like to do is, uh, to get past that mental hurdle. I think it's important to compete, right? So if you start competing and you start winning, and you start pushing your boundaries a little more, right? You gotta, you gotta get out of your comfort zone. A lot of people they like to be in their comfort zone. I like being in my comfort zone. It's comfortable. Who doesn't want to be comfortable, right? But it, it, I, you can't really give me much examples of people growing it from their comfort zone. You can't really grow. So you gotta ask yourself: if you want to grow. You have to get out of your comfort zone. So do you want to grow or do you not want to grow? If you want to grow, you got to get out of the comfort zone. So what does that mean? Like, and there's a lot of ways to do that. Like even going to the gym, you have to tear muscle to grow, right? You no have pain, to, no pain. no pain, no gain. Any sport, any learning, you have to go through a, a phase of suffering and unknown and and then you get the benefit which is the growth and the opportunities that come with that so how did i achieve this how do what do i like to do you know some of the things i like to have a slightly bigger vision i don't look at just what i need to tackle i and if i do i break it down systematically and then uh, for me, I really believe that half the battle is showing up. So if you are trying to go to the gym and you can't go to the gym, you always find yourself excuses going to the gym, just show up to the gym. And you're like, you're there. Okay, what am I going to do? Fuck, I guess I'm here. <laughs> well, I might as well work out now. You know, Like, I don't really want to work out today. But guess what? I'm going to go to the jitsu class. And then I'm going to be like, oh, crap. My instructor's telling us to do this exercise. I, I, I guess I'm going to have to do it. And then by the end of class, you're a champ. You, you know, you feel great. You got, you accomplished your work. Everything is gravy. You, you know? broke a sweat. So <laughs> you broke a sweat. Half the battle's showing up. Uh, I, I can't stress that enough. I actually studied how to build habits for a long time. So now I have a, a, a systematic way of building a habit. Any kind of habit that I want to gain, I have a systematic way of achieving that uh, that goal, the outcome, habitually. Um, and not very many people pay attention to building habits. It's, it's, it's a significant part of your, your whole life is habits. Like, for example, mm -hmm. uh, I can give you an example. What habit that I want to build? I wanted to build, I want to go to the sauna every day. That's one example. Why? Because it reduces all-cause mortality by 
Anybody want to check up on that? You can research Dr. Rhonda Patrick's. She has a lot of data about the benefits of the sauna. To me, other than diet and, and cardio, it's probably the most impactful thing you could do on your life to increase your longevity. And one of my life goals is to live a very long time in health. And uh, so I said, well, how the heck am I going to go to the sauna? Right? I can go after work. I can go in between the day. It's very inconsistent, right? So I actually sat there and I thought very heavily looking on my schedule. And I'm like, where could I fit this in every day, Monday to Friday? Because you have different routines during the week and you have different routines on the weekend. So there was during the week. And then I'm like, okay. So I, I could... If I go to bed at 10, which I was already going to bed at 11, if I go to bed at 10, which is a little trickier to do, um, or 10.30, I wake up at 6 a.m. And then I have two hours before I got to show up to work. And then, I re- and, then I, and then I'm like, okay, then I need to be at the gym by 7 a.m. If I'm at the gym by 7 a.m., I can do a 20-minute sauna session. And then I could go, and then I'm finished, and I get my sauna done. So I I just started, I made sure I was out of the, and I said, I got to be out of the door. It's only five minutes from my house by 6.55, right? So then I, I planned how long it takes me to get dressed and get ready in the morning. I'm like, it's only about uh, a 45-minute endeavor. I put the snooze on for 10 minutes. It takes me 30 minutes to get you know, shaved or not even shaved. Sometimes I shave, get dressed, get packed up. And then, and then I could be out the door by 6.55. So I knew that it was very realistic and I built triggers, right? I had these triggers everywhere. Um, so I packaged all my stuff for the first little while. The night before I had a notification, you know, uh, put your multivitamins in, in a Ziploc bag. Another thing that I do, I, I, I have all my vitamins in a Ziploc bag and I just take the bag in the morning. Um, and then I show up at the sauna. And then I wanted to layer another habit on top of that, which was stretching. So when I went to the sauna, I built a stretching routine, a 20 minute stretching routine. And then I'm like, well, I wanna hit all my body. So I broke up my stretches into um, 30 second increments per stretch. Okay. And then I want to layer a breathing routine into that because I want to be very efficient. I, I, I don't want to just sit in the sauna and do nothing. It's 20 minutes of nothingness, right? Yeah. Uh, so then now I, I layered a breathing routine into that where I do uh, a breathing exercise while stretching in the sauna. And the breathing exercise, uh, another very beneficial thing people should do, they don't pay attention to is breathing. Um, I'm a big believer in optimizing your breathing patterns and uh, increasing your uh, VO2 max. Um, it increases your overall performance and it's, link, another, it's another link to longevity as well. If you could breathe less because you have more efficient breathing, uh, then, then you have less airflow, less oxygen, less turnover in your body uh, and your machine has a longer lifespan ultimately. Anyways, the point is there's a, there's a method to building habits. Um, and the method is simple. There's a trigger, an action, and a reward. Those are the three things. One thing that I was doing really bad at night was I was drinking a Diet Coke, eating chocolate, eating chips every night. Ooh. Every night. You got to understand this. Every single night. 
<laughs> I, I have my own junk food habits like that. <laughs> it is a horrible <laughs> habit, horrible habit. And what I realized after years, by the way, of like trying so many things, you know, is I tried pushing it back super late and I would still eat the same amount. You know, I try eating bigger dinners and I would still eat the same amount of junk food. Like we're talking like, like a good seven, 800 calories of straight garbage. And I realized that it, the trigger to my, my, my over snacking was diet Coke. So I'd have a diet Coke and I would portion the Coke with the snack. And often I might have a little bit of snack left or a little bit of diet Coke left. And if there's a little bit of diet Coke or snack, they didn't quite match each other. I'd have more snack, but then I get thirsty and open another diet Coke. Then I would drink a diet Coke and then I'd want to finish it and enjoy it with more snack. So you developed a habit, but the wrong kind of habit in the wrong way. Wrong kind of habit. Exactly. Going in the wrong, I, wrong direction. <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. So I tried not getting the chips, but when I buy diet Coke, it, I needed to have the chips or the chocolate. And then, so what I did is I stopped buying Diet Coke. That was hard, really hard. So what I did then is I replaced it with soda water, right? Because there's no aspartame. It's not the same kick. It's just kind of like a nice fizzy water. Chips and uh, the little little flavored rice cakes instead. You know, yeah, so chips, what I did with but... chips, <laughs> uh, don't ever buy a big bag of chips. Don't ever buy a big bag of chips. Okay, that's number one. If you want a chip, I go to the grocery. I go to the uh, gas station, and Thank I buy you. a small bag of chips. I'm gonna I'm finish the whole bag. The the box of the even littler bags of chips. No, because you have a box that you have. No, no, that that's dangerous for me. I would eat. The, I would. I would just eat more bags. Okay. So I. The thing is, there's a trigger, an action, and a reward. The trigger is for me is seeing the bag of chips. And the actions eating it, the rewards, the dopamine hit. Right? So, and I want that dopamine hit. You're kind of addicted to that. But you want to manage the dopamine hit somewhat, anyways. So, soda water and a small bag of chips. I'm still getting the dopamine hit. Like, I'm still getting that. It's not as intense, but it's good enough to make me happy. But I don't, there's no more trigger. When I finish the bag, the little bag, I'm happy. I'm eating. I'm super happy. I'm like, great. I'm, I'm getting some chips. And I'm finished. I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I look around for a second, I'm like, oh wait, I don't have any more, but I'm still pretty good, right? I'm not gonna get in my car and drive to the gas station and get another bag of chips. So I remove the trigger from my presence, which means I'm not gonna do the action of eating it and the reward of the dopamine hit. Uh, so for that one, I, 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 first of all, I don't even buy a Diet Coke can in the first place. And then the second one is I get very portioned bag of chips um and then uh i i don't buy the chocolate i used to buy the chips and the chocolate now it's like either chip or chocolate not both and and so you're still giving yourself the reward but it's much more manageable it's yeah. it's like one one quarter to one fifth of the damage of a big bag of chips and like a tub of ice cream you know the worst place uh, for chips is costco <laughs> i don't buy a costco i just I, I would never buy anything from costco that's snack related no, I, I go there uh, uh, 
twice a year and I stock up on all the big things, uh, big things of meat, uh, the toilet paper, <laughs> the, the, the paper towels, like all, all that kind of stuff. I, I go once a, or twice a year, every six months, fill up on that. And that, that's, uh, that, that's my Costco trip. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I learned uh, the hard way on the, on the snacking at Costco. So <laughs> trying to avoid it now. Yeah. Yeah. They're good at getting you buy stuff, right? That's the whole business model. In fact, Costco was famous for the like, look, we can't get any more shoppers. They like saturated markets. And so they had to figure out how to increase revenue without growing their user base. So their main KPI is uh, basket size. Now they try to up the purchase, the amount of money you spend per visit. That's the main focus of Costco. Uh, they can't get any more customers at this point in a lot of markets, at least. Well, um, I, I think they're, uh, I think they're still doing uh, pretty well, <laughs> but that, that is great. Kind of the goal of most businesses is to get to that point uh, where, where you're trying to, to scale even further and you're running out of options because you're already just massive, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what, going back to that chip habit, you know, I, I can't explain to you how many things I tried. I tried putting triggers on my calendar. Don't eat chips. Don't eat junk food. I tried eating different types of dinners that are more heavy so I don't get the craving for snacks. Um, I, I tried uh, eating different kinds of healthy kind of snacks, which I still do now to a certain extent. Um, like pumpkin seeds are actually a good one, like the kind of filling. Uh, they have this new chickpeas dried chickpeas which are actually pretty nice uh they're not as yummy so you don't eat as much of them <laughs> but ultimately like this goes back to the methodology you never i never give up on a goal okay I, in my mindset you only fail you only truly fail when you quit you're still in the game otherwise right yep. so just don't ever accept quitting don't quit keep moving just do it keep moving keep moving is one of my favorite uh sayings right just keep moving keep going keep yeah. going another step another breath another rep just keep moving and then all of a sudden you're there right they say how do you eat an elephant piece by piece <laughs> <laughs> ultimately absolutely uh, that's, uh, that's actually like uh like uh, a perfect metaphor actually like in in such a small sentence like just keep moving like otherwise you become stagnant you become stale you you stop you you, you get out of it and yeah i i, re I really like that and i think uh, more people should uh, definitely <laughs> definitely consider that and honestly i think that'd be a that's a, a great spot for for us to wrap up here but i do have one final question that yeah everybody if if you could give somebody that's that's just starting out one piece of advice what would it be and wh what are they starting out in anything they're, they're trying to launch a business they're trying to get a career going they're they're trying to do something and and you know they're they're at that point and they're they're a little bit stuck well what's the what's the best advice that you can give them from your experience i'll have two points on that one uh technique and method matters so follow the right methodology, okay? If there's a certain way of building a business that you're in or a career that you're in, people have done it successfully before. It's been documented. Find out the methodology they've used and do that methodology. Now that's number one. 
the second one is three rules I live by. First one is integrity. Operate with integrity. If people don't trust you, they won't work with you, they won't believe you, they're not going to be around you. So always operate with integrity. Second one is work hard because ultimately everything is a function of your work. And the more work you can build, the more you could uh, work is kind of like you could get better at working, but it's finite, right? You can work, you can, you can go from working four hours to building an ability to work for 12 hours and get that. Uh, I, you know, I'm a big believer in, in work ethic. You got to have that great, great work ethic. Uh, you don't get nowhere without work. Nothing gets built without work. And the third one is, you know, work is finite, though. There'll come a point where you could only work so much harder and your output diminishes. So what you need to do then is learn. You know, you got to optimize your learning. How quick could you learn? What's your delta on learning, right? And so integrity, work hard and learn, and then only a matter of time before you achieve your goal. I love that. That that was just perfectly put. Mo, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. You've got an amazing story. You've got an amazing passion for what you do. And I think a lot of people uh, can definitely benefit uh, from your advice here. We didn't talk about Gen M. Damn it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Next time. Next time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for those of uh, you that uh, didn't know, uh, Mo is the CEO of Gen M, which is an amazing company that uh, helps students and uh, small business owners uh, pair up uh, to get experience and well, to get experience both ways, really. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. And yeah, so check them out, genm.co, and uh, you can get the link uh, on the website as well. Thanks for tuning in this month. We'll see you again next month.